Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi everybody, just a note from me, Rhiannon, to say that my new supplements company, Hurrah, is finally here. It's taken years to get this off the ground. Retrition Plus is evidence-based, rooted in science, focused on you, and we offer vitamin D sprays, folic acid spray, and a vegan multivitamin. So head over to retritionplus.com for supplements you can finally trust. Hello, thank you so much for tuning into this week's Food for Thought, a podcast that's on a mission to equip you all with the evidence-based advice that you need to live and breathe a healthy lifestyle. I'm Rhiannon Lambert, a registered nutritionist, Sunday Times best-selling author and founder of the Harley Street Clinic Retrition and Evidence-Based Supplements Retrition Plus. In each episode of the 12 episodes, I'll be joined by guests, all of whom are experts in their field. So together, we can learn fact from fiction, empower ourselves to become the healthiest and happiest versions of ourselves with trusted expert advice. Gut health has become a hugely trending topic in the recent years. I think everybody is talking about it, but we know that looking after our gut may play a part in both our mental and physical health. So is the key to unlocking sustainable weight loss and maintaining a healthy weight loss long-term down to our gut? Now that's a question we're asked a lot on the Retrition platform. So this conversation today is going to answer that question for you. We've got the most incredible guest. We see Professor Tim Spector and I take a closer look at the gut microbiome and any links, if any, at weight loss. Hello, Tim. Hello. Lovely to be chatting, finally. I know, I know. Tim and I were just discussing. I do feel that there's a lot of bugs still lingering this year. I don't know if it's a post-COVID thing. I have no idea. It just seems like there's an awful lot of them. But today we're discussing gut health and weight loss, which I think is something that everybody really wants to know. I think a lot of people are looking for some kind of miracle answer. But Tim, as far as you're aware, is there a link between the two? Uh, there is a link. Um, I think it's been a bit hyped um, in the past. And certainly it's not the first thing I would associate gut health with. Um, but, uh, you know, I'd love to explore the details of this because um, it's sort of where it all started. And I think we're talking about a lot of the data 10 years ago. It was very much leading us to think that the gut microbiome could be the real 
answer to obesity problems and uh, and would sort of in a way become the equivalent of the crash diet. And it hasn't worked out that way. As usual, uh, science is always more complicated. I think you uh, explained that beautifully. Science is constantly evolving and I think we all get very excited when we have one little nugget that might point us in the direction of something. And then it turns out that, as usual, it's a bigger picture and there's a lot of different areas to explore. So where did scientists start with this link then, Tim, or this assumption? Was it to do with the gut bacteria? Did they believe there was an interaction there that may have helped us digest certain foods in a different way? Yeah, well, I think it started around about 10 years ago when some of the early studies were coming out about the gut microbiome, which is the community of all the bugs that live in our gut, and suggesting that particularly when you use these animal models, um, which were sterile mice, these are little mice that are born into a sterile environment, kept in these little bubbles and fed through people using, you know, keeping them away from any germs at all. So they're very rather surreal surroundings. And they manipulated their, their gut microbes such that some of these mice were given microbes from, from uh, fat mice or from skinny mice uh, and also from um, some humans that were overweight or, or skinny. And they found they could change the uh, weight of those sterile mice when they were fed, you know, fatty foods, etc. And that was, so the 10 years ago, this was really big science, really saying that in a way, um, obesity was an infectious disease because you could transmit it, you know, from your poo. Uh, essentially, this is what these animals were showing us. And there was a lot of also talk then that you could use um, fecal poo transplants, essentially, fecal microbial uh, transplants to uh, take poo from a skinny person, put it uh, into someone who's overweight or obese uh, and slim them down. So that was what everyone was talking about. And a lot of people went online and worked out how to do their own poo transplants. You know, it meant getting a secondhand Magimix or, you know, things with various tubes up their bottoms, rather unpleasant things. But people were desperate and they were trying this stuff. But it turns out that a lot of that uh, early science was um, just exaggerated because, um, and we did some of this as well, so I, I'm not uh, distancing uh, what we did because we worked with a group in Cornell, looked at our, our twins, we measured the gut microbiomes in the twins, and we did find that in twins where one uh, one was more overweight than the other, we, we generally found that there was a clear difference between their gut microbes. So the, the skinnier twin had always a more diverse set of gut microbes. They had more different species than, uh, than the overweight twin. And they tended to lack a couple of species that, we, that were consistently found. So there was called Akkermansia was one, and another one was called Christensenella. 
which weren't well known at the time. Uh, and it, it, when we put those bugs back into mice, we could uh, alter their uh, their weight. So this is you know this very exciting at the time. This 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 stuff that was coming out. Uh, around 10 years ago, made us think that we could ma manipulate weight just through the gut microbes. But the data since then hasn't really, it's still showing there's differences between overweight people and skinny people. Definitely the gut microbiome is not as healthy, but the ability of these microbes to change things like weight or, or poo transplants to change weight have really generally failed. And I think what we, we showed was that there was a, an effect in these mice. But when you look back, you see actually that effect size was very small. It was significant, but it was very small. And we, I think we just sort of extrapolated too much from it and said, wow, you know, that's, that's going to have a real impact on humans. And it turns out that the real life scenario when you're trying to do this in real human beings, not sterile mice, mean, means it doesn't quite work that well. So I think that's that's sort of where we are. And I think we know that the gut microbiome has an impact on weight and obesity, but I don't think there's a magic bullet of just transferring one or two microbes across or doing it. And for reasons we don't understand, uh, in humans, uh, giving skinny my you know your skinny microbes to uh, an overweight person for some reason doesn't work and i think that's 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 sort of where we are now that's really fascinating though i think um as with everything of course you can't apply animal studies directly to humans in that way but thank you for explaining the journey because i think a lot of people listening now will be saying well how do I develop my gut bugs? Is it what I add in or am I stuck with this because it was not done in the first two years of my life? Perhaps there's, you know, the nature nurture kind of element here. You said you work obviously with the twins. And I think a lot of people would want to know, well, how do I get more of that bacteria? Or have I missed my chance now I'm over a certain age? Um, yeah, so we get most of our bugs in the, the first three or four years of life, as you said. And then it settles down, but um, we we do know you can change your microbes um, by changing your diet and to some degree your lifestyle. Um, and studies have clearly shown this in in the space of a week. If you if you're a vegetarian, and you change to a meat eating diet. You know you get dramatic changes in your in your gut microbes. Similarly. If you're a meat eater and you go vegan, you will also see big changes uh, in a short period of time. Um, we've also seen some studies recently that in, in just in six weeks, if you go on an intensive fermented food diet, uh, you will change your gut microbes significantly uh, just in a few weeks. So I think uh, there's lots of evidence now that says that in a few weeks by having lots of different fibers different plants fermented foods or, or completely changing the um, style of your diet you can change your gut microbes for the better so that you know is really important for people to realize that they do have the power to change their gut health and 
it's not like your genes. It's not set for life. There's very little genetic influence on your gut microbes, actually. And um, we've done other studies also showing that you, they are transmitted within families as well, so that um, you do share a lot of your gut microbes, particularly with your mother, more than your father. Perhaps, you know, we're all closer to our mothers anyway. And so the, the, your family will share a certain set of microbes, but uh, as you move away from the family, you'll develop others and you might start sharing microbes with your partner or even your dog. So there, there are lots of ways to acquire new microbes, uh, both through diet and, you know, perhaps by um, being close to people who are healthier than you. That's that's a really good tip. <laughs> try, and, try and cuddle up to someone who's really healthy. <laughs> that's and such, you know, it's so yeah. interesting. And get outside and play with the dog in the mud or something and just expose yourself to lots of environments. I think people will love to hear that because sadly, as you and I both know, um, it's there's a lot of rhetoric, I think, with people's health on restriction and taking out food groups and making choices based solely on calorie deficits alone rather than thinking about the the power that we have to eat a diverse diet um what are the harmful side effects i suppose of um restriction of food groups what would you say well i mean i obviously you and i have both written a lot about this in our, in our books and um the you know i think we We've been misled a lot into this idea of reducing nutrition into sort of four items, really: calories, carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. And by doing that, we're totally missing the whole benefit of nutrition. And people tend to focus on one of those four things they're going to reduce, and that's all that matters. And really all those approaches have shown to be wrong because um, if you don't look after your gut health, your gut microbes, basically your body isn't functioning anything like its optimum uh, capacity. And so what, you know, we do know that some people um, might be better at processing sugars and others at processing fats. And this is what the Zoe um, personalized nutrition plan is all about, and but doesn't mean that you know for me for me for example I, I I test poorly in processing sugars doesn't mean I shouldn't eat carbohydrates it just means I should be careful to have less refined carbohydrates and try and mix that with fats but it would be totally stupid to say I'm going to cut out all carbohydrates because I have a a high sugar response, I only eat fats and therefore go on a, a, a keto diet trying to get 70% of my calories from fats, which would be very unhealthy because I then wouldn't be feeding my gut microbes what they need, which is these, uh, you know, we think for optimum gut health, we did this study showing that 30 plants a week is what the seems to be the sweet spot for getting the most diversity in your species, your gut health. So I think the idea of people saying, I'm going to have a high fat diet, high carb diet, I'm going to cut this out, 
all of these means you reduce your general diversity of foods. That is the number one problem for your um, your gut microbiome. They're just not getting that diversity, and that's why I don't like any of these restricted diets. Oh, you know, and, and there's subtypes. You know, people saying, you know, let's go gluten free, and therefore that restricts. They don't then eat any grains or many um, other foods, and of, often they're doing it not because they actually have a gluten intolerance, just they think they have. It, really big risks of anybody going down this line. Lots of people telling me, oh, I never eat lectins. Yeah, um, I know, I know. That's you know, another new there's one. No, there's no science behind that. It's uh, some theoretical concept that there are some things in plants that can act as anti-nutrients, and you've got oxalates and phytates and all these other things, which you can come up with some theory about why these are bad for you and write a best-selling book on it and you know make, make, make millions. But at the end of the day, um, they've never been shown in real life to be a problem. And if you have a diverse diet, they're pretty irrelevant because any one factor is irrelevant in the whole context of your meal for that day or that week if you are having a healthy, diverse, uh, plant-rich diet. So I think it's all this reductionism um, is, is extremely harmful because it, it, it moves us away from uh, this rather holistic approach to feeding our gut to thinking we understand nutrition and picking out one or two of the 30,000 chemicals in foods and saying, aha, this is the one. <laughs> I don't care about the other 29,998. <laughs> these, I'm going to go and avoid these two because I read a really important book from this guru who says I should avoid it and I'm going to be super healthy. And it's nonsense. It's, it, you know, you again explain that so concisely, but it's almost like all the Hollywood Hills fatty diets that you see over the years. You know, you've mentioned lectins, which definitely seems to be the new thing. I'm receiving a lot of DMs about on social media. Please talk about lectins. And it's amazing how one person or one book or one influence can spread like a ripple through the entire population and change our dietary habits and our overall view on health. I mean, I get it as a nutritionist and sometimes sometimes I've got to be honest him I've got friends asking me these types of questions on diets and I'm exhausted by it I am exhausted by hearing that they need to up their macros or you know this is the answer to health because they're missing the bigger picture which is food is is food and we've got access to variety therefore we're so privileged and perhaps it would be lovely if we took advantage of the opportunities that we have with food but do you think there's a level I mean, you're an influential man now, let's say. I mean, you always have been, but you are a pro in your area. You're currently studying and you're aware of the pros and cons to the research. But do you have any government influence or a, perhaps an area that you could go into to get changes to root down the education system maybe within our schools? Because I do believe that that might have a little bit of a sway with the future generations. Well, I don't have any sway with government. Um, I got into a lot of fights with government over COVID. So I know how hard it is to work with government. And I'm, I'm generally pretty rude about, particularly the, you know, the people who set the nutrition guidelines in government at the moment, that 
are about 20 years out of date. Um, so they're not going to listen to me. Um, but I do think um, you can, you know, you can achieve things, um, other routes. Uh, education, I think we are, we're agreeing, is crucial. Um, if, if you tell children the importance of food and gut health and they can teach their parents and you teach children how to recognize what real food is, you tell them, you know, what ultra processed food is and how that is making them and their friends uh, obese because no one's taught about the contents of ultra processed food and how those chemicals are affecting your brain and making you overeat, et cetera, et cetera, I think is really important. So absolutely, every chance I get, I, I, yeah. but if I can get to a head teacher and say, listen, get some teaching uh, on uh, food back in into class, it's much more important than, you know, learning algebra. Um, you know, it's going to be much more useful if, if everyone can learn how to cook five basic meals involving plants, for example, and understand the ingredients and, and do this. And we actually had um, food as a topic like English and maths. Yeah. Then actually you could pretty much hope, you know, hope to make a big dent in the health crisis um, through, through those meals and save the country. Mm. Wouldn't it be amazing if we could get rid of algebra and just have food? Yeah, exactly. Because you know, not many people have used their algebra at school, um, and uh, yet most many people come out of school not not being able to boil an egg. So you know, and thinking all food just comes in packets. So I think we we can get a, lo- a long way by education, um, and uh, but I, I don't think. The current government is going to listen to that that message, but 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 I think teachers will. I think parents will. I think head teachers uh, can do this, and we do know there are schools uh, with nutrition programs in there. Uh, there are lots of charities that are helping schools that I know of, and so urge anyone <clears throat> listening, you know, to join one of those charities and um, get 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 uh, food talked about in in your school and and spread the word. And I think uh, this is the way things can happen, a sort of ground roots up movement rather than waiting for some health minister to see the light. And, uh, you know, uh, because they're they're not going to, you know, the the lobbying from food companies is is so huge that they're not going to, none of the government, are going to break that train of, of corruption. And so we have to do it from the ground up. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I was just smiling to myself. I was just thinking of all the all the clients I've seen over the years in the retrition clinic, all the people I've spoken to, the things I've witnessed, the disordered relationships with food, and a lot of the mindset around food. Actually, if it started from, yeah, the early years up with eat more variety rather than eat less and consume more ultra processed foods if we'd have had this whole food whole plant-based food kind of mentality from such a young age and it was instilled in our families we just wouldn't have these problems in society now I know there's lots of lots of factors when we're looking at um, 
weight, uh, body fat, obesity, of course, there's the environmental influence, the world we live in, the sedentary lifestyles, there's loads of factors, of course, to consider, but a huge chunk of it is most definitely what we predominantly eat, how we're brought up to believe and see the world of food, right? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> a lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. And so much more. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And there's also a link between the brain, which you did um, fleetingly touch on. You said, you know, what we eat impacts our brain. Could you touch on that a little bit more? Because I think people will find that really interesting. Yes. So we've never really understood why previously, before understanding the gut microbiome, you know, that food and, and, and brain had some effects. Yeah, yes, there were migraines and there were a few things that triggered off. We thought it was just, you know, the odd bit of histamine or some sort of reaction. Uh, but it was all rather mysterious. But now we know that the gut microbiome produces most of the, most of the chemicals in our body. So the microbiome produces neurochemicals that the body itself can't produce or produce in very small amounts. And the two big ones are serotonin, which is part of the dopamine pathways, pleasure pathways in the brain. And another one is GABA, which is important for anxiety and uh, stress. And there are many more that we're still finding out about. So what you, you eat definitely does have an effect on your brain because you've got microbes feed off your foods, and in response, produce these chemicals. And we now understand that just as in other diseases, if you look at anxious or depressed individuals compared to normal people, there's a difference in their gut microbes. So again, you get this picture of less diverse gut microbes, less species, which means they're not producing the same chemicals as someone who has a full range of all the species. And in a way that if you think of your gut microbiome as a, as a series of pharmacies, you, someone who's depressed has got much fewer pharmacies open. They can't produce the same level of chemicals. They can't give out those chemicals, those chemical factories. And lots of studies now show that the, as well as the gut microbiome being rather deficient 
in people with anxiety and depression. If you do a randomized trial, you they've shown that probiotics and high-fiber, gut-friendly diets, a sort of gut-friendly Mediterranean diet, has a significant impact on mood, which is equivalent to what you would get with antidepressant medication, and in some cases, potentially more. So I think we really have discovered that uh, food is medicine when it comes to mental health. And that's just one aspect of mental health. There are uh, many other ones where you're finding similar effects. There's less the autism spectrum disorders. There's also equivalent data, but it's small, generally smaller studies and slightly more anecdotal. But it's all pointing in the same direction that the chemicals in your gut can act so pharmaceutically on your brain if you feed them right. And I think this is a really critical uh, new finding that really makes us think differently about nutrition and mental health. And of course, it's doubly important in mental health because as you know from your patients, once you're depressed, it's very hard to, to get interested in nutrition and diet. So people tend to lose their appetite. They don't want to cook. They're, you know, they're, they're switched off. So in a way, they go into a spiral of having less and less interest, eating more and more junk food, which has negative effects on their gut microbes and their brain health, and they go downhill. And that's where they end up re reverting, you know, needing uh, pharmaceutical medication, which often may not work. And some new research has actually shown that many people taking these um, antidepressant medications, um, things like SSRIs or uh, other similar ones, often only works, a third of people works very well, maybe a third slightly, and the third doesn't work at all. And it turns out that your gut microbes, you need a certain set of gut microbes for it to work because the drug, the drug gets switched off if you don't actually um, have those particular microbes to process it and produce these, these brain chemicals which help you. So it's all coming together very nicely to show that really, really should be, for mental health, we should be number one targeting diet as, as the as the real important first treatment, not not medications. No, I think it makes perfect sense, actually. It's almost common sense that we're unique. We have unique bacteria inside us. And of course, how could one drug suit all? I, I, it's like, you know, one diet to suit all, one drug to suit all. It just doesn't really um, exist, which... I'm so happy in a way this research is coming out and I know we've got a long way to go with everything, but it's, it's so fascinating and it, it's actually so exciting. I find it exciting because I just think, wow, we really do have such an opportunity here to reverse so many things that have ailed people for so long and really reduce the rates of mental health illness in future generations. I'm, I'm not being naive to the fact, of course, again, with mental health, there are so many factors. It's not just going to be diet. But if we can do one thing that might potentially make a difference to someone, then why not do it? And I think 
Zoe, if you could talk to people about the Zoe app just for a second, is, is an interesting example of people starting to actually learn about, I mean, not everyone can afford to see a, a registered nutritionist or dietitian like myself. So there's an app that's more accessible and they could learn more about how their body works. Yes. Yeah, so the Zoe, the Zoe program, I mean, Zoe is a company that I co-founded six years ago with a couple of colleagues that uh, sells commercially a, a test kit, which came out of a big research study we did at St. Thomas's Hospital on a thousand twins. But essentially everyone is given an identical meal at the same time and measured their responses to that meal and compared with everyone else who's ever done that. And we've now done this in an amazing 80,000 people already. So it's got very big. And the three key things we measure are your blood sugar using a continuous glucose monitor, which you just stick on your arm and you get a readout on your phone every five minutes for the next two weeks. A, a What we call a post-meal fat level where you um, get a, a blood blood drop from uh, your finger six hours after you've had a fatty meal and that tells us how well your body gets rid of fats after a meal and finally we do a, a microbiome sequencing um, study on your stool so it's there the three elements and there's huge variation in how people respond to sugars fats and their and their gut microbiome we found a tenfold difference in um, sugar and fat responses to identical meals, which is enormous. That's in normal people. And so that's really the whole basis of this personalized uh, nutrition so that once you've got those um, three parameters, we then add other data that we've collected on you, uh, including demographics and uh, other things about you, and then come up with a score so that your every food you could uh, wish to eat, and we've, we've got, I think, ninety-five percent of the of the foods now logged. Uh, you get an individual score for you out of a hundred about how good that food is that ticks the boxes for sugar, fats, and microbiome. And people do that, and then once they've done that testing phase, go on a program of trying to eat above, say, a score of averaging seven out of 10 um, for the day, a sort of day score of your meals, so that you're avoiding the sugar spikes, you're avoiding these fat spikes, and you're trying to build up your gut health. And so it's a, a sort of holistic approach to nutrition that encourages diversity, encourages you to eat as many different things as you can, encourages you to avoid ultra-processed refined products, and Importantly, it never once discusses calories. So we don't we don't restrict what you're eating. And I wouldn't call it a diet in the normal sense. I think it's it's just pointing people towards eating foods, knowing what they're eating and knowing having an idea what its likely response is to be on your body. Because these sugar spikes and fat spikes I should just explain. We know that they can trigger increased appetite and inflammation. So sort of of subliminal stress levels in the body is what having these 
spikes all the time does to us. So it's normal to have them, but let's just reduce them a bit, make sure that they're not a predominant part of our lives and that um, that way your body's less stressed and you're eating something that's much more in tune with your metabolism. So it's it's a holistic approach. And as I said, we've done this now in 80,000 people and most people who stick to it find they get uh, have much more energy. Their mood is better. Interestingly, we were discussing mood earlier and they uh, are metabolically better. So they're their blood fats um, are, are coming down, cholesterol is coming down, and uh, many of them also lose a little bit of weight. But that's not the not the major thing. We're not trying to go for a massive weight loss. We're we're trying to get people to eat in a way that will last them for years or decades, and and, and change it long term. I think what you've said is is key. So just for everybody listening, it's good that this program doesn't involve calories. And I don't normally get behind things, but I love Zoe for the reason that I think it teaches you about your own body. And it's something you don't have to look. There's a lot of trends out there circulating. You don't have to wear a glucose monitor your whole life. It just teaches you in a short period of time about your body and how it responds. So to anyone listening, once you're empowered with knowledge like that, you can move forwards, avoid what I call that roller coaster, that blood sugar roller coaster, which wreaks havoc with, I think, lots of people's lives. I remember on the commute to work when I first moved to London, Tim, everyone was there with a cup of coffee in hand, they're racing to work, and then they grab that croissant, they're going up, down, up, down all day long. But if we can look at the impact it's having on our body and start to understand that what we eat can change that, how you pair foods and what you choose to eat at each meal. So I think it's a wonderful idea. And you contribute to research, which is a big, big win, because the more data we can get, guys, on the system that Tim can get, the more perhaps we are able to make changes um, in a bigger way for future generations and health. So I think the last question I've got for you before I move on to um, questions from our listeners is that there are a lot of podcasts in mainstream media and a lot of um, TV programs that kind of advocate homeopathic and non-evidence-based uh, techniques to support gut health and weight loss. And I wondered if you'd come across any of these um, types of methods and what your advice would be for people that encounter them, because they are absolutely everywhere. If you are searching on Google gut health or weight loss, you will be bombarded and then you'll be targeted by ads every left, right and centre on on your phone for these homeopathic remedies. And I wondered what your thoughts were, Tim. Well, it could be a very brief answer, really. Um, you know, the, they're snake oil. You know, um, anyone who wants a quick fix to a problem such as gut health or diet or, you know, Lifespan uh, isn't going to get it from the you know the back of a packet or a um, uh, an advert on on Twitter or Instagram that is offering the secret of life for only you know twenty pounds a month. Um, you know it's yes, I realize humans are suckers for the quick fix, and I think we've all got to realize this is a weakness in all of us. Uh, I, I'm no exception. I think you know. If there's a shortcut, don't have to worry about anything. Just take this magic pill, oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> used by ancient, you know, Indian or Chinese gurus for thousands of years, uh, made of you know ground up maggots or something. Um, 
it's not going to work, is it? Um, so, you know, I think the idea that there is a quick fix in a, in a tablet is just uh, plain wrong. And um, but the power we all have the power to change our our health, and it is actually simple. But it's it's not a it's a slow process, and um, it's you know it's a deliberate process. And yeah. So there there aren't these quick fixes, and no. you know, uh, but you know that's why the the supplement business is so huge. You know why half the population of the UK and the US take regular supplements yeah. that are unproven and yeah. or proven proven not to work is they still yeah i know that i've heard tim Spector talk about this but <laughs> but you know what it might just work it's a bit like people who you know um reconvert back to religion as they're on their deathbed yeah. so well you know there might not be a god but just in case there is yeah. i'll uh, i'll go with it yeah so, yeah some people, some people, it makes them feel better by by doing it. It cheers them up, but uh, you know that's 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 up to people. But if you have got, you know, people spend a lot of money on this stuff, and I, I'd rather they did spend money on 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 some real stuff that did help them long term, or spend their money on buying real foods and you know buying better quality vegetables or or fruits or getting some. Fermented yeah. foods. In. Tim, you know, there's one product. There's this. Sorry to interrupt. There's this one product that I'm seeing everywhere, and it costs about a hundred pound for a bag, and it's like this green mix of powder and collagen. It's everywhere, and I mean, powerful marketing behind this particular product, and they must be making an absolute killing. And I think that's one of the questions from our listeners. Luke had said. Should I be taking uh, collagen powder? And I'm not going to name the brand that he's listed there, but and this brand of this particular product, um, would it help me with weight loss? And that's a question for you. And I'm sure you're asked it all the time. Well, the answer is no, it's not going to help you with weight loss. Um, you know, why would eating some collagen, which is basically, you know, ground up bones, um, help with weight loss? Um you know, it's not even, it's not likely to help even with your skin because digesting something in your in your gut that's made of ground up bones, the chance of it making it to anywhere in your body that's going to be anywhere useful or biologically active is is close to zero. So people are wasting their money on this stuff, and you got to realize, as you said, uh, the marketing on this they can afford such huge marketing because. They're probably making you know ninety percent profit on these on these products that cost next to nothing, and they're being uh, you know builders incredibly exciting high tech stuff that they're probably just getting from some massive factory in China, and probably has you know full of sawdust. Who knows? No one's checking it. So um, yeah, avoid avoid this stuff. Um, you know, collagen doesn't help anything as far as I'm aware yeah thank you for that because I have to be honest a lot of our listener questions are about should I take apple cider vinegar should I take collagen should I be going um taking probiotic supplements actually we should answer that one because it's definitely in the area but a lot of those questions that you guys are sending in for me are pretty much the same thing this industry is not vetted 
like Tim said, it could be sawdust. Anything could be in the pack that you're ordering over the internet because it's not regulated. Anyone can create a supplements company. The latest influencer can get up there and create something and sell hundreds of different powders that are called aging miracles or, you know, you name it. And then they pay Hollywood stars and people to say they have it. And before you know it, it's gone global. So be wary. And Tim, the one question from Ruby is probiotic supplements, are they linked with weight loss? I'm not aware of any any good studies to show uh, that uh, probiotics re- reduce weight. There is, us, is some data that some new probiotics can improve your metabolic profile. So might slightly reduce blood sugar and blood lipids. Uh, so um, there are some promising, particularly with this, what we call the second generation of probiotics, because the first generation have been around about 100 years. We've used the same ones that are in yogurts and um, other dairy products. And those strains have been patented by these companies like Nestle, Danone, Yakult, etc., and haven't really changed. So there, there are other sort of boring ones. They sort of have a limited benefit, but uh, uh, not much more. But we are seeing some of these new ones uh, coming out that have definitely have potential to do more that we are seeing in some of these human studies have have effects. But uh, at the moment, there's no probiotic on the market that has a, a significant effect on weight loss that I'm aware of. So um, I think you're much better off getting your probiotics from food. Um, and probiotics basically just mean a, a live microbe that has potential health benefit. Um, but having probiotics as food, such as in a, in a natural yogurt, a kefir, a kombucha, a, ke- a kimchi, kraut, etc., because you get many more of them. They're protected by the food to some extent, so they most of them will probably make it uh, past the stomach. And there's, there are some good data now showing that as a minimum, if you have lots of fermented foods, you're going to improve your immune system. You're going to reduce inflammation. So I think everyone who hasn't really gone for fermented foods in a big way perhaps needs to up their levels and don't and don't assume that, you know, fruit, a fruit-filled, artificially sweetened yogurt uh, has any living microbes in it. You've got to get for the – just pay a bit more for the real stuff and uh, try and not – be drawn out by the advertising on those packets and really um, either make it yourself, which is dead cheap and easy, or spend a bit more and get the good products. That's that's really my, my, my advice. I mean, I think let's watch this space because I think there are probiotics in development. They take about three or four years to actually um, get going that, that I know of that I think will be useful, but I don't think there's any out there quite yet. And you know, it's part of the Zoe program. You know, we've now got this, the world's biggest uh, data set of microbiomes linking that with foods and health. So we will in the future be able to perhaps develop some probiotics that uh, has science to back them up. So I think it's, it's an evolving field, but at the moment, stick to food. Yeah, no, that's incredibly, incredibly exciting. 
two here, but also remember, guys, a good kefir pretty much tastes similar to your, your Greek yogurts. I mean, it's got a more of a twang, but it's delicious. And I think it's such an easy swap to make sometimes is to try and, you know, I give it to my 10 month old as well as my toddler and I, they love it. And I just think if you can get into the habit of moving away from those highly processed, bright, vivid, manufactured type of eat me now flavored things and go back to the natural fermented options. It's a good idea. Anyway, fact or fiction round, Tim. Are you ready? Hit me. Um, number one, being in a calorie deficit is the most effective way to lose weight. Um, well, you've got to put some context on that. I think it's about the quality of the foods, uh, the structure of the food, and your gut health long-term that's important. And we shouldn't be talking about short-term weight gain, weight loss, because that always rebounds back. You want to be doing sustainable things that last for years or decades. So, yes, obviously, uh, but calories are a smokescreen. And I think we all should stop thinking about weight loss in terms of calories and just switch to higher quality, better foods that are better for your gut and weight loss will naturally come. Brilliant. Prebiotic foods feed the gut bacteria. That's correct. Prebiotic foods are fibre. That's what they That's what they eat. Drinking kombucha every day is good for the gut. Yes, I think it is. Not all kombuchas you buy in the shops are good for your gut. But if you make your own or you have a good brand that you know has real stuff in it and not too much sugar, no artificial sweeteners, hasn't been pasteurised, then it will be good for your gut. Yeah, it's actually quite hard to find those nowadays. Um, you'll be surprised. So yeah, if you can make your own, it's a great move. Um, bloating is a symptom of poor gut health. Uh, that's correct. Uh, often a symptom of irritable bowel syndrome, and which up to about a third of females often suffer from. And bloating is a number one uh, symptom, and it's related to poor gut diversity and um, those chemicals they produce. So uh, trying to improve your gut health uh, will improve your, your bloating, as well as potentially changing meal, uh, rest, resting your gut as well. So we've shown some studies about, about that from the Zoe Health study that um, increasing your fasting interval can reduce symptoms of bloating as well. So not just what you eat, but when you eat. Yeah, and Tim doesn't mean just having one meal a day, guys. He's just meaning don't eat too late at night or, you know, kind of give yourself a, a realistic window here. We're not talking about going crazy because I was about to ask you, intermittent fasting promotes slower digestion and lessens appetite. Probably uh, true. Um, we did this. The Zoe Health Study is the, the sort of free arm of Zoe, so anyone can download the app and be a citizen scientist on it. And we did a big study of around 100,000 people on intermittent fasting and got them to try and eat in a 10-hour window and looked at their effects. And was, one of the biggest things is people with IBS actually got less bloating significantly in that study. Um, and on average, uh, people's appetite uh, reduced slightly, but there was quite a bit of individual variation. So I don't want to say that everyone will reduce uh, their appetite 
it will depend. I think there's some people that intermittent fasting does work really well for, but there are others who do find it more difficult. So I think um, my advice to you guys would be, you know, give it a try. Don't assume that everyone's the same because we are all very individual. And um, But I think it's one of those things that we should be fiddling with our meal times uh, to see what, what suits us best, and particularly if you've got some some problems. Uh, but, yeah, so appetite on average improve, but not on everybody. Some people do get hungrier. Good to know. And then we've got a question which links in. Um, artificial sweeteners and emulsifiers have a negative impact on gut health. That's true. Um, studies have clearly shown that. And some people seem to have a particular reaction. There's an individual reaction. So in general, that's true. Emulsifiers and sweeteners will cause malfunction of your gut microbes. They produce abnormal chemicals. In addition, some people have a particular sensitivity to these emulsifiers or sweeteners that they're going to exaggerate a reaction. And um, one of the things we're doing at Zoe is trying to work out how we can predict who those people are so they can really, um, really avoid those, those products. But uh, it's definitely a problem, and one of the reasons that uh, ultra-processed foods are are so bad for our guts. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, anyway, I'll touch on that, the food for thought at the end. The last question we've got is that people who eat more fibre are less likely to be overweight. That's correct. So we've, we did a 20-year study in our twins, interestingly looking at their fibre consumption. So I, people who don't know, I've studied... 15,000 twins for the last 30 years. And had a group of female twins who were staying for 20 years, even within the pair, the one that had more fiber um, was consistently uh, thinner than the, the, their identical twin who uh, had less fiber. So that, to me, shows the, the importance of fiber, but also... If you're having fibre, it means you're also having these plants, which means you're having diversity generally, you're having a, a better quality diet. It's a sort of indicator of quality diet as well. Yeah, fibre's good. Yeah, no, I mean, Tim, that sadly wraps up our our episode today on Food for Thought, but it really is. There is loads of Food for Thought. Literally, whenever I talk to you, I'm left at the end just thinking if only the world of food science, let's look at nutritional science in a way, and manufacturers and the developments of, you know, artificial sweeteners and all these things that we have created and got excited about in the world and pumped into food is actually potentially backfiring. Um, it might be standard and safe to consume, but it might not be beneficial. And I think that might be the new school of thought that a lot of people need to adapt and change to, especially in my field as a nutritionist, you know, it's drummed into you at university that um, these things are safe. However, we know that there is an impact for everything we change with nature, right? It comes down to the environment, the way we're over consuming and the impact on the state of sustainability in the world, just as much as health and our diets. And I think it's really important we all open our eyes a little bit more and we do put our detective hats on and have a think about the food we're consuming if we're able to and we're in that fortunate position to have access to it and choose wisely. So, uh, Tim, if you have a food for thought or a take-home message for our listeners today, what would that be? Yeah, I'd say the number one enemy in the UK is ultra-processed food. We 60% of our... Energy comes from ultra-processed food, which means you know some people are getting ninety percent 
um, because <clears throat> people like me are not, me and you are not eating sixty percent. So in children, it's it's above seventy percent, and most people don't realise, you know, what they and their family are eating. And I think it's it's a wake up call for us. And I don't think they are safe. I think they're safe in the sense they don't give us food poisoning. They don't immediately give us cancer. But uh, long term, they're absolutely not safe. Long, long, you know, they make us overeat, make us hungrier. They make us more likely to have diabetes and obesity. And long term, that causes cancer and other problems. So I think weaning us all off ultra-processed foods, realizing them, despite all these bright labels saying how healthy they are and the health claims, we need to dissect that out. And uh, that that really is, would be my take-home message for everybody today. Is be, be aware that the UK has one of the most toxic food environments in the world. Um, the companies have enormous power to market these products. And most things with a packet and, and healthy labels on the front are the exact opposite and uh, we should be wise to avoid them. So that, that I think, is something, you know, and I think there is a growing movement now that are it's starting to be heard, you know, a number of books coming out, and um, there's a documentary coming out <clears throat> in June, you know, talking about this. So I think we're going to see more and more of it, but I, I'd love to see people individually just to making their own choices and uh, vote voting at the supermarket with their feet. And so they they choose different products. Absolutely. Tim, as ever, really uh, thought-evoking. Yeah, thank you so, so much for spending your valuable time and coming on Food for Thought. My pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. That's it to season 15 of Food for Thought. I truly hope that you have learned how our bodies are as unique as our personalities and that this gives you the confidence to enjoy life to the fullest by following evidence-based advice. It's an absolute minefield out there at the moment and I'm hoping that by tuning in, you are learning lots. So if you would like to keep listening, that would be amazing and support the wonderful guests that we've had on. If you have time, could you leave a review that would be incredible and then we can reach those higher highs in the charts and hopefully get to more and more people that is the goal here to spread evidence-based nutritional information and if you would like more information of course about my best-selling book the science of nutrition deliciously healthy pregnancy the retrition clinic healthy recipes and so much more please just head on over to retrition.com and you can follow me on all social media platforms at retrition on instagram tiktok TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.